Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 209 of the MCU Fan Show. My name is Sean Gerber, and this is a spoiler review of Loki, episode 4, The Nexus Event, directed by Kate Heron, written by Eric Martin, and Michael Waldron is the head writer for the series. But before that fun starts, just want to let you know where you can get exclusive podcasts over at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. That's S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R, or just hit the link in the show notes where we have exclusive shows highlighting some of the best moments, the most marvelous moments in the history of the MCU, including a scene in Avengers Endgame in which Natasha Romanoff threatened to hit Steve Rogers in the head with a peanut butter sandwich. But as funny as that was, it's not really what made the moment quite so marvelous. I explain why in a Patreon-exclusive podcast, and there are more of those all available at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. And then make sure you're following us in all those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And one last thing before I hit the music, thank you so much to everyone who took the time to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts this week. They came flooding in after I asked for some last week. Let's try to keep that going, but thank you for everyone uh, who's done that already, whether you did that recently or you did it long ago or somewhere in between. Thanks so much for that, and if you are enjoying the show, we would appreciate, and you haven't left one yet, we would appreciate a rating and review from you over on Apple Podcasts. Enough of that business. Let's get on with our show. Paul Herman is not with me for this episode. I am flying solo on this one. We have some scheduling conflicts. We're not able to record at the same time, and we want to get a spoiler review to you for this episode of Loki just as soon as we can with the holiday weekend and everything else coming up. Just didn't quite work out, and we want to get this podcast to you before the holiday weekend starts. So I will fly solo for this one. Paul will be back next week, and we will get his thoughts on this episode at that time. Of course, he'll have a whole bunch of new thoughts to share about episode five. As for how my week has been, it's been really good because for the first time ever as a Marvel fan, MCU fan, I got to watch a brand new Marvel Studios movie and a brand new episode of a Marvel Studios Disney Plus series in the same week. But it was even better than that because I got to watch Black Widow twice this week, non-spoiler review available in episode 207 of the podcast, so it's already in this feed. You can go back and listen to it if you haven't already, and you really can listen to it even though you haven't seen the film yet because it is super safe, super careful, and super spoiler-free, so you can listen to that review and not worry about learning something you didn't want to know before you see Black Widow once it hits theaters on July 9th, or maybe you're checking it out on opening night Thursday, July 8th, or maybe you're going to watch it midnight when it drops on Disney Plus with Premier Access. But I'm really excited to go into full detail talking about Black Widow, but that has to wait a little bit. For now, hopefully, you'll just take a little bit of comfort in knowing that I love the movie and I think you're going to love it as well. I do not have to wait to talk about episode four of Loki, or at least I don't have to wait anymore. As I record this, it's been a little less than 48 hours since the episode dropped, and I did watch it right as it dropped because it kind of worked out scheduling-wise just to be super obnoxious about how fun my Marvel week was. The second viewing of Black Widow for me was Tuesday night at the world premiere fan event that they did. They had four screenings all over the world. They had one in Melbourne. Well, I guess not all over the world, in four places. And they were Melbourne, London, New York, and Los Angeles, where I'm from. 
And so I got to go to the El Capitan Theater and check it out. And Kevin Feige was there. Victoria Alonso was there, as well as executive producers Brad Winderbaum and Brian Chapek to introduce the film. And it was so great to watch the movie with a, a an enthusiastic crowd of Marvel fans again. That was a blast. And then to be able to go home from that experience, and it was like the full red carpet and photo ops and everything. It was awesome. You might have even seen me on the Marvel Studios Instagram story. I somehow made it there. As did MCU fan show listener and podcast alum Brian Crew, who I was so happy to meet in person at the event, and he also made the Marvel Studios Instagram story. Brian, as some of you may recall, was with us on episodes 91 and 129 of the show. I recommend you go back and listen to both of those, but especially episode 91, in which Brian brought us a very new, very fun, very unique viewing order for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, at least at that point in time. There were more films since then, so maybe it's something we have to revisit. But you'll definitely want to go back and listen to episodes 91 and 129 of the MCU Fan Show. And it was awesome meeting Brian in person the other night. And then the fun just kept rolling that Tuesday night because I got home and thought, well, I could either go to bed or maybe stay up for another hour and there will be a new episode of Loki. And so I decided to stay awake and watch that new episode of Loki right when it dropped. And I have really needed these last couple of days to just recover from this episode because it was a doozy. I mean, it started off as a really, just really great episode that was doing all of the wonderful things that this series has been doing with character development, the emotional core of the series, the thematic core of the series, with all these fascinating questions that it's been prompting us to examine week after week. And so all of that was just firing on all cylinders as it has been for the past few weeks with Loki. And then lots of big stuff started happening. Lots of big dominoes started to fall all right in a row within what, like the last 15 minutes or so of the episode, maybe even less than that. It was just incredible to watch it unfold and have everything, have the series just completely shift and reframe our expectations. I say our because I think it happened with you as well. I don't think it was just me. Completely reframe our expectations of where things might go from here, at least in terms of the plot, uh, while also not losing sight of what it's been doing for these characters all along, especially the characters of Loki and Sylvie. It was just an outstanding episode and now I'm going to explain all the reasons why as best I can, as best as I can articulate it. But this one might be a bit of a struggle, even for me and, and how long winded I am. I don't know if I can quite cover all of the things I was feeling while I was watching this episode, especially that mid credit scene. Wow. And I... I remember at the end of last week's episode, I talked about how we hadn't had a mid-credit scene yet or post-credit scene. We hadn't had a tag for the series yet. And we've seen with WandaVision, like we got one in the second to last episode, the last episode, Falcon Winter Soldier, we didn't get one until the final episode. And I certainly didn't predict that we were going to get one this week, but it was certainly on the lookout for that. So I didn't miss the mid-credit scene. And I'm sure if any of you did, you were alerted almost immediately to go back and check it out and watch the mid credit scene. But I'm not skipping all the way to that. We have to get through the entire episode before I talk about how just amazing that was. So let's start with the beginning of this episode, which was a flashback. We meet young Sylvie on Asgard, as played by Kaylee Fleming. And as a friend from work pointed out, 
Kaylee Fleming also played young Rey in The Force Awakens and Rise of Skywalker. So she's playing with a dragon and a Valkyrie. A Valkyrie is slaying a dragon. And then Renslayer shows up, but not as Judge Renslayer, as we have seen her in the series so far, but as a hunter identified as A23. That is perhaps a reference slash Easter egg. I mean, not perhaps, it totally is. Has to be a reference to Avengers number 23, which was Ravona Renslayer's first appearance in Marvel Comics. Kang was also in that issue, so I know some people are looking at this and saying that is an indication that Kang is in the series. I think there are a lot of clues that Kang is involved in this somewhere, somehow. I don't think you necessarily need this one, and it is relevant directly to the character that's wearing that A23 identification on her hunter uniform, Ravona Renslayer, so that's enough for me, but if it is also a Kang reference, great. So we see a reset charge is laid down, and it takes out the toys. We don't really see it take out anything else, although if you notice when we're seeing these reset charges go off, if we see it go off, it's pretty much always a close-up that limits our view. So we don't really know what the full impact or reach of these reset charges are. We know they clean up enough to protect the sacred timeline to eliminate a branch so it doesn't go it doesn't break the red line and just break the sacred timeline and create a multiversal war all over again or so the TVA says it will. But we don't know exactly what that's doing. And this, whatever we thought was happening with those reset charges, it's going to have to change after what we just saw in this week's episode. So Sylvie is taken to the TVA. She goes through all the same steps that Loki did, but through the eyes of a child, as Sylvie was in this scene, it's much scarier. So for Loki, this whole sequence just plays as confusing to him more so than anything else. He's not really all that scared until he sees the guy that was in front of him being reset, disintegrated, pruned, whatever you want to call it. Then Loki falls in line because he just doesn't want to die right that second. But the rest of the experience for Loki, not quite what it was for Sylvie. But again, that makes sense based on Sylvie's perspective. So yeah, it's terrifying. And I think what's also interesting about that from a storytelling perspective is giving us a different point of view on what the TVA is doing. Because I think when we saw it the first time around in episode one, we knew what they were doing. I mean, it seems wrong that they just killed the guy, although he was kind of a jerk. So maybe we weren't that upset about it. But it was really more of just being spellbound or awestruck by this entire idea of the TVA. Like, what is this place? And it's the greatest power in the universe and all these things that we were sold in the very first episode that we weren't questioning as much about just the morality, the ethics of what they're doing. We did a little bit. I mean, we talked about if they're resetting and that means killing, eliminating people, that's a bad thing. We were thinking about that, but I don't think it was quite at the forefront of our mind during this sequence of Loki going through the steps at the TVA. We were just more amused by all the different things that he had to do and all the different experiences that he had. Nothing really amusing about this. It's just scary for this kid. And so we understand why she wanted to get away. And she did. Sylvie stomps on Renslayer's foot, steals the tempad, and gets away. And we know, because Sylvie explained this to us in episode three, that she's been on the run ever since. And why is this flashback happening? Well, Renslayer is remembering all of this on an elevator ride to meet with the timekeepers. 
And we do finally see them, not in painting or statue form, but we see the timekeepers, although there's a trick behind that, as we find out later on in the episode. We see them from a distance through the atmospheric smoke and everything in that room, but we do kind of see them. And we also see what some people have looked at as maybe, is that runes behind them as we see the red glowing symbol that's behind the timekeepers. I don't really know because that is also a symbol that's been part of the changing Loki title that we see when we see the Loki title card every week. I'm, it makes, I understand the runes theory because runes are magic and only the person who casts the rune, only the witch who casts the runes can use magic. No one else can. Loki hasn't been able to use his magic and Sylvie was not able to use her enchantment magic or anything like that. So I understand the theory, and it may ultimately hold up. I just don't know if I'm really leaning that direction. It seems too soon to be applying the concept of runes to something else. I know WandaVision, I mean, there's been one series in between these two, but it still seems a little fast, and it also seems like it's not really necessary in this. And also, I don't know if the runes would work on Infinity Stones, and those are also depowered in the TVA, because the Infinity Stones aren't magic, they're Marvel science, and there's a difference. So I don't really know if that, uh, I don't really know if the runes theory is going to work out, but credit to anyone who spotted that if it ends up being correct. But another thing worth focusing on here, just from a character perspective, is Ravona Renslayer. I mean, we got Sylvie's perspective, young Sylvie's perspective, and how scary this whole experience was, but let's also look at Ravona Renslayer, because we were wondering when we found out, when it was confirmed for us by Sylvie last week, that everyone who works in the TVA is a variant, there was some question for Renslayer because she's a judge, has a different title, interacts with the Timekeepers, and she's the only one at the TVA that we actually know interacts with the Timekeepers. And so there was maybe the idea or the possibility that if she is one of the Timekeepers or is so directly linked to them that maybe she wasn't a variant who was taken but considering that she progressed, she must have progressed from the role uh, to the role of judge from the role of hunter, and perhaps she was one of the Minutemen before she was a hunter, that suggests that she was a variant who worked her way up, which leads to some very interesting questions about her as a character and, and where she stands on things as we move forward in the episode. But right now, based on this and also how intimidated she looked as she was making her way in the elevator to the timekeepers, doesn't really seem like she is the greater power behind all of this. But that doesn't mean that she doesn't know more than she lets on. She most certainly does or so. Sylvie certainly thinks so at the end of the episode. But we are back at the TVA and uh, Renslayer is returning from her meeting with the timekeepers Comes down the elevator as she gets out. Mobius is checking in, wanting to know what the timekeepers are saying. Mobius wants access to Hunter C-20, but he can't because even though she's saying it's real, it's real. He wants to know more about what Hunter C-20 is talking about. Renslayer says she's dead, putting out some nonsense about a scrambled mind. We think it's suspect, and so does Mobius. So Renslayer, she knows more than she lets on. She is part of the web of lies and cover-ups, or so it would seem. But continuing along in the episode, we go back to Lamentus 1. Sylvie and Loki face the apocalypse because we know that they were not able to make it to the Ark before it was destroyed. So they're trapped on Lamentus 1. Another planet is starting to crash into it, and it appears they are about to meet their end. 
And so Loki offers a genuine apology to Sylvie for things not going according to plan, and now they're going to die. Sylvie acknowledges in this conversation that they start here that she remembers her past. So remember last week where she was just talking about barely remembering her mom? She notes here that she doesn't necessarily remember everything. It's not all completely clear, but she remembers Asgard. She remembers her home, her people, her life. So she definitely remembers more than she let on last week, like we figured. And last week, she had just met this Loki. She didn't want to open up and be vulnerable in front of Loki. But here, when all hope is lost and she thinks she's about to die, well, Loki can't really use any of this information against her if they're both about to perish. So she's willing to share her true feelings. And that's part of the connection that she's making with Loki. But I think Loki was already feeling that on his, uh, certainly on his side of it, because of everything he was already sharing and how vulnerable he had been with Sylvie. And Sylvie uh, notes that the universe wants to break free, so it manifests chaos, like me being born the goddess of mischief. And we've talked about that in the podcast before, the whole idea of manifesting chaos, if the universe wants to break free, maybe that's part of the reason why, maybe that is the reason why, there have been so many Loki variants that the TVA has had to deal with because Loki represents mischief and chaos and anything goes. And so a Loki is destined to always want to break free, whether it's intentional or otherwise. And that is Loki ultimately represents the universe's willingness uh, or desire to break free and have this full-blown multiverse that we're probably about to see in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, or if it's not full-blown. It'll be uh, a much bigger place than it's already been in the MCU uh, as we've seen it to this point. And the TVA, though, eventually they showed up and erased her reality, took her prisoner. But there is a question, though, of why then? Because Sylvie mentions how it's, it's when her existence had created a big enough detour from the sacred timeline. But what's interesting, though, is it wasn't at birth. So it wasn't like Sylvie was born a girl and the TVA immediately took her as a baby, or as we speculated a little bit last week, maybe her mom was able to hide her for a certain amount of time and then the TVA got her. That's not what happened. She was allowed to live her life to a point and then something happened and we don't know what that Nexus event was and Sylvie does not get an answer to that question in this episode. But because it wasn't at birth, if it's not an automatic nexus event for Loki to have been born a girl, does that mean that as we're looking at all these other Loki variants, perhaps there are other goddesses of mischief out there? But it will be interesting to see what it was specifically in Sylvie's life that created a potential nexus event. But we already know, because the timekeepers are, well, androids anyway, but the timekeepers, this whole thing with TVA, the TVA, it's built on all of these lies and we noted that when we talked about the sacred timeline as it was explained to us in the Miss Minutes video in the first episode that it seems pretty arbitrary as far as what the system is that causes a, that triggers a nexus event that makes it an issue for the sacred timeline. And being able to actually see and hear more about Sylvie's backstory in this episode it just feeds into questioning the nature of the sacred timeline or continuing to question the nature of the sacred timeline. Because even if you go back to the animated representation of it, it didn't really look like a single line. It looked like many lines were kind of woven together slash in some cases maybe running parallel to one another or diverging slightly, but then merging back into 
the main timeline because it's not really about one single timeline and there's really truly only one. It's more almost more like there's only there's one set of timelines that all provide the right, even though there may be some differences within them, the timelines that get to be part of the merged sacred timeline are the ones that all provide the sequences of events that are necessary for whoever is really trying to protect it. But then getting into Sylvie's backstory even more, we see the setup, how she was found by the TVA. We saw her get away. But then hearing her talk about her experience just takes it to another level emotionally as a viewer, as we're getting to know this character and connecting with her even more through hearing about her life. And it really is a life in tragedy because Sylvie, she was causing Nexus events wherever she went because she wasn't supposed to be there, as she said, because I'm not supposed to exist. So whenever she showed up, it alerted the TVA and they would come after her. And that's just heartbreaking that this kid is running scared and there's no place she can go where the TVA is not going to come after her until she learns that she can hide in apocalypses. So that's where she grew up. The end of a thousand worlds, she says, and now that's where I'll die. And that just sounds awful. I mean, imagine spending your entire life on the run and the only place you can find some peace is definitely the wrong word, but the only place that maybe you'll be left alone, at least left alone by the TVA, is to go to a place where the world is ending, or if it's not an entire world, it's still a lot of people who are about to die, and you have to stay in that environment in order to avoid detection. And then, of course, after that event happens, you got to start it all over again. You got to go to either the same apocalypse all over again or go to another one. But just imagine having to relive that over and over again, just going to these places where everyone around you is about to die. It's just awful. And it explains why Sylvie in some ways almost appears apathetic or at least hardened to this idea of of people dying, like doesn't really... You don't necessarily see her feeling for all the people on Lamentus One, but I feel like that's stuff that she's already been through, and I feel like she's become somewhat callous, although it's really more of a callous exterior. I think what Sylvie has developed over the years, over a life spent in this type of environment, is an emotional survival mechanism to try as much as she can and detach herself from the situation, because if you had to sit there and emotionally absorb an apocalypse over and over again, there's just no way you would be able to move. Eventually, at one point, you're just going to be frozen in place and you're going to be killed in whatever apocalypse you're visiting at that point in time. So we certainly understand why Sylvie is the way that she is, but I don't really think that Sylvie has lost her humanity in this. She still feels, she still connects, but she just convinces herself as best she can that she can detach or remove herself from the situation. We cut back to the control room as Sylvie and Loki are talking on Lamentus 1. Mobius is looking for any sign of the variants, and there's now a magnified nexus threshold to quickly spot any potential branches, including, as Mobius notes, someone stepping on the wrong leaf, but they're not getting anything. Everything is calm at the TVA, and you definitely get the impression at this point that the bombing of the sacred timeline has been resolved, at least for now. It looks like the TVA acted fast and in great numbers, and they were able to successfully protect the sacred timeline, which I think still works. I know we were talking up about how big that moment was at the end of episode two, that this is the moment that gives birth to the multiverse, and 
Maybe we were overshooting it for episode two to think it was already doing that, although this series has done some pretty big things along the way. So wasn't out of the question to uh, to think that. I don't know that that's really happened yet. I think the series is still going to get us there, but right now it looks like the bombing of the sacred timeline that we saw in episode two, it served its main function, which was within Sylvie's plan, a distraction for the TVA so that she could get a shot at the timekeepers, which is what she really wanted, but then Loki, of course, messed it up. I think we will still see the sacred timeline fall or branch out later in the series. I think that is a very safe bet because that is the mission, right, of our heroes in this story, and I think they're going to succeed, although who knows, this could run multiple seasons and maybe they don't pull it off in season one. Maybe it happens later, but when we know what's coming up with Spider-Man No Way Home, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I think the odds are in the favor of Loki and Sylvie and perhaps Mobius as well, depending on what's going on with him right now. I think the odds are good for them. But as far as what we saw in episode two, it looks like the TVA was able to deal with that. But again, it was all distraction for Sylvie. And it served that function, even if Loki kind of ruined it. So Hunter B-15 is there asking for news on Hunter C-20. Mobius doesn't share what Renslayer told him that Hunter C-20 is dead, because remember, Renslayer told uh, Mobius to keep a lid on it. So we already see that, you know, Renslayer is not the only one who's willing to withhold information, but also Mobius is still in the process of trying to figure things out. Meanwhile, the end is near on Lamentus 1. Sylvie asks if what makes a Loki a Loki is that they're destined to lose to which Loki replies, we may lose, sometimes painfully, but we don't die, we survive. And then Loki goes on to praise Sylvie for all that she's accomplished, nearly taking down the TVA, an organization that claims to be all-powerful and in charge of all time throughout the universe. So for Sylvie to get that close to taking out the timekeeper slash TVA, Loki is right when he says, you're amazing. And Sylvie is moved by what Loki has said, and great performances throughout, by the way, I mean, by everybody, but Sophia DiMartino as Sylvie, Tom Hiddleston, I know we say this all the time, and we've been saying it for years as Loki, but doing some of his best work in this series. So Sylvie, moved by what Loki has said, touches his arm, and we cut back to the control room, and B-15 spots a branch that's heading almost straight up toward the red line, which is far different from the steady inclines that we have seen before. Sylvie and Loki embrace as they look at what appears to be their end. They smile at each other. The score is so good here. I mean, it's good pretty much everywhere, but Natalie Holt, here's another moment where the score was just so impressive, and I just loved it so much. So weird and sci-fi, but just a hint of melancholy for the sadness of the moment of them accepting that they're about to die. But they don't because this is a Nexus event right here that with this branch that's heading straight up towards the red line so a portal opens up the loki survive and of course they are arrested by the tva but why did this branch at all everyone was going to die on lamentus one as they were supposed to and loki and sylvie are variants who are supposed to be erased anyway so how does any of this threaten the sacred timeline that is a mystery that i don't even know if there's a theory there's a working theory throughout this episode that we'll get into. I don't even really know, though, if it was definitively answered. But as we make our way back to the TVA, Loki and Sylvie are each prisoners of the TVA once again. Loki wants an equal amount of security as Sylvie, which Mobius brushes off, and so do we. 
And I just love the way that Loki, even as he takes these steps forward, he can't help himself sometimes and he has to jump and take a step back or maybe multiple steps back. But Loki's first instinct in this moment when he feels powerless, because here he is, captured by the TVA again, he is not in control of his own life, of his own fate. He is not in control here at all. So as he feels so powerless, his first instinct is to inflate the sense or to create this inflated sense of how powerful he is. But Mobius knows this, so it doesn't work. And Mobius, as they uh, move into another room, Mobius says Loki isn't the god of mischief. And Loki takes a few guesses at what Mobius thinks uh, Loki would be the god of. And Mobius isn't really trying to be clever. He just says that Loki is an asshole and kind of a bad friend, which means Mobius thinks of Loki as a friend. And to see Loki feel that, watch Tom Hiddleston's face after that line from Mobius, as delivered by Owen Wilson, who continues to be awesome in this series. Loki feels that. And Loki tells Mobius that the TVA is lying to him, but he doesn't elaborate, so he goes into a time cell. So... Loki can fairly say, Loki could have responded to what Mobius said. I mean, he could have scoffed at that. He could have suggested or he could have tried to argue with that and and suggest that maybe Mobius is out of line for suggesting that they were friends. I mean, Mobius, after all, has been forcing Loki to help him with the threat of erasing Loki's existence, hanging over every interaction between Mobius and Loki. So Loki could have just said, there's no way you can call us friends. You have no right to evaluate how I behave as a friend because we are not friends. But that's not Loki's response. It's not anger. It's not defiance. It's not any sort of denial. Loki is actually touched by the idea that Mobius would want to be his friend and a little bit bummed that Mobius is thinking that Loki is a bad friend. It's Loki caring about that friendship. As for what happens in the time cell, well, it's a time loop cell. Loki is caught in a loop, and who is in there, in that loop with him, but Sif. Jamie Alexander returns to the MCU in this time cell, and it goes back to a moment where Loki cuts Sif's hair. She's very angry with him about that, and she beats him up over and over again, with a knee to the groin being the centerpiece of that beating. And Sif is saying to Loki at the end of all of these, with all of these loops, I hope you know you deserve to be alone and you always will be. And at first, Loki doesn't recognize the value of this moment, of being caught in this loop. He just thinks of it as punishment. Well, at first, he doesn't know that it's going to be looped. And he just, he has no remorse for it. Or he tries to deny that he feels any remorse for what he did. He initially just says that, After that moment, he never thought about it again. He was fine with what he had done, regardless of how upset uh, Sif was over it. And then Loki eventually, I mean, we cut to another scene in between this, but I'll just wrap up the time loop for now. Uh, Loki eventually apologizes to Sif. And of course, this isn't really Sif who's here, just caught in this loop with this time cell. But Loki, he admits that it wasn't funny, admits that he craves attention because he's a narcissist and is scared of being alone. But this time cell is more therapy for Loki. He's admitting to why he does the things he does. He's admitting that it stems from how flawed he is, how flawed he knows he is, and his own insecurities and everything that he's trying to compensate for. And so what he's doing in these time loop, in this time cell especially, and it's all internal because people don't really see 
what's going on here. Although, given what Mobius says later on here, Mobius knows what loop Loki is experiencing over and over again. But before Mobius enters, and it's really just about Loki in this loop with Sif over and over again, internally, this is a form of atonement for Loki. So the scene that happens in between the cuts to the time loop in the inside the time cell, we have a conversation, another conversation between Mobius and Renslayer. Mobius wants to interview Sylvie. Renslayer says no. And she sends him back to work on his Loki and figure out what caused the spike. Mobius then catches up with Hunter B-15, who's guarding Sylvie along with some Minutemen. We're also there guarding Sylvie. And Mobius lays out some really interesting history of the types of people they have dealt with at the TVA. He says, you know, we brought in Kree, Titans, vampires. Why is it the two orphan demigods are such a pain in the ass? So wait just one second here. Vampires, this is our first, I think. I mean, maybe I'm not remembering something. This is our first or certainly our biggest reference to vampires in the MCU, which is very relevant when we know that Blade is coming up in the MCU at some point. It doesn't have a release date, but we know it's on the way. We know it's starring Mahershala Ali, two-time Oscar winner Mahershala Ali. So it's nice to hear that vampires are on the way. Mobius also mentions Titans, as in Residents of Titan, which had me wondering, are there Thanos variants that are out there? And was the TVA able to reset them? I mean, I don't know. Thanos is pretty tough, especially if you're dealing with him over and over again. Although, maybe not, because maybe Thanos' whole I am inevitable thing points to he's not necessarily all about chaos. So maybe he mostly stays in line with the Sacred Timeline. Who knows? But maybe it was other people from Titan that uh, the TVA or other variants from Titan that the TVA had to deal with. Or maybe he was saying Titans in a more general term and not necessarily from Titan. But going back to the vampire mention, it's not a specific character, but just the mere mention of vampires, trying to compare what this was like hearing this for the first time in the MCU. It reminded me of Jasper Sitwell saying the name Stephen Strange in Captain America, the Winter Soldier. There was no real context for it. It was just an example of the types of people that would be taken out via Project Insight with Arnim Zola's algorithm, but it didn't really explain anything to Steve or Natasha, whom Jasper was talking to, and Sam Wilson was there as well. It didn't explain anything to them about who Stephen Strange was, and for the audience watching, if you didn't already know what that name meant, and you didn't already know which character that was referring to, it didn't tell you. It didn't tell you this guy was going to go on to become a sorcerer or anything like that. You either knew the name or you didn't, but it was just mentioning that without necessarily a specific timeline of exactly when we were going to see Stephen Strange. I mean, it was an acknowledgement that this character exists in the universe, but it wasn't it wasn't coupled with the idea that this was definitely happening. I mean, at that point when the movie came out, in April of 2014, when Captain America the Winter Soldier was released, we knew, because it had been talked about for a long time, that there would be a Doctor Strange movie, but this was still before they officially announced the movie with an official release date, which we got in October of 2014. So it was really just more of the promise of the future as opposed to, in, in a more general way, as opposed to, here's a specific thing that's happening, but that's still exciting to just know that other things are out there and other characters are out there in the universe and we are going to see them even if we don't know exactly when. Now, 
We have some specific information with Blade. We know who's playing Blade. We know that it's on the way. It has been officially announced, but it hasn't been paired with a release date just yet. So that's the part that's a little bit similar is that idea that we know this is coming. We don't know exactly when, but it's just exciting to get this acknowledgement that it's out there in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it's just a matter of time before we see it. So Hunter B-15, getting back to what's actually happening in this series and in this episode, Hunter B-15 wants to know if Loki said anything, and Mobius says that Loki said the TVA was lying to him. And Hunter B-15 clocks that, but then just says that she was only wondering because she's just doing her job. But Mobius clocks that Hunter B-15 clocked that information. So then we go back to Mobius interviewing Loki, and Loki notes that this also feels like a loop because we've been here before in this room with Mobius interviewing Loki, and Mobius starts asking Loki about working with Sylvie, suggesting that they're partners, that they've been working together for some time, and Loki denies that, so Mobius takes a, and when Loki starts characterizing Sylvie almost as a means to an end, Mobius takes that whole means to an end thing and and takes a shot to express his own hurt feelings over being betrayed by Loki, which is, you know, all friends. Mobius wants to know what caused the spike. Loki isn't cooperating, so Mobius threatens to put him in the time cell again. So Loki talks or he lies, which a lot of times with Loki is the same thing, but he's working on that, which we can see and recognize the effort in this series. And so Loki pretends that he and Sylvie have been working together and that really Sylvie is just a pawn. And turnabout is fair play, though, because if Loki's going to lie, Mobius is going to lie. So he says that Sylvie's already been pruned, and Loki is devastated. At the mere mention of this, Loki immediately tears up. He says, his words say good riddance, but his face says the opposite of that. His face shows that doesn't matter what words are coming out of his mouth. It's a complete lie. He is devastated by this because... He feels something for Sylvie, and Mobius sees it and says, you like her, and says, no wonder he doesn't know what caused the Nexus event on Lamentis, since they were both swooning over each other. And Mobius explains two variants of the same being, especially you, forming this kind of sick, twisted romantic relationship. That's pure chaos. That could break reality. It's breaking my reality right now. He calls Loki an incredible seismic narcissist and says, you fell for yourself, and then Loki responds immediately, her name was Sylvie. Mobius mocks the name and the spelling, is it a Y or an IE? And Loki is not interested in any of that. He emphatically asks if Sylvie is alive, and Mobius just says, for now, Loki lets out a huge sigh of relief, and there's so much going on here. Loki, who is a master at hiding, cannot hide how he feels about Sylvie. And even when it was clear that Mobius had lied, Loki still needed to hear him say it, needed to hear Mobius confirm that Sylvie was still alive. It wasn't enough for Loki to just assume that she was probably alive and everything was okay. He needed to hear it. He needed to be sure. And also, Loki saying her name when Mobius said that Loki had fallen for himself, that was a very important correction for Loki to make because Loki is acknowledging that Sylvie's name is important. After he initially dismissed that, remember, when Sylvie talked about her name or her alias last week in episode three, and this wasn't even necessarily that long ago. I mean, they were on Lamentis for 12 hours, and then who knows, because time passes differently in the TVA. But 
Loki mocked this initially, not really, not entirely unlike Mobius just did, but now he makes a point that that is her name, that that is her identity, and he's really acknowledging that Sylvie is a completely different person, because that's where the correction was. When he's saying you fell for yourself, her name was Sylvie, meaning I didn't fall for myself, I fell for Sylvie. Sylvie has her own identity, and that's something that Loki respects, and that's why he's correcting Mobius, everyone should. Variants may have a lot in common, but they are different people, and no less entitled to their right to exist and exist freely, which is part of the whole thematic core of this series. But I just loved that exchange because it's Loki who's always so guarded, so cool, or at least always really good at pretending that he's cool and not bothered by anything. Just couldn't hide anything there. It was just so raw, his emotional reaction to hearing that Sylvie had died and not being okay until he knew for sure that she actually was still alive. Just unbelievable performance by Tom Hiddleston. I mean, it's believable because we see him do things like this all the time, but I never lose any appreciation for it, and I don't think any of you listening do either. He just continues to amaze with moments like these, and just so good here. So uh, the conversation continues now that everything is okay enough that Sylvie is still around. They get into a conversation about the timekeepers. Loki says that they should be overthrown. Mobius is offended, talking about how he should box Loki's ears. The argument continues to the point where Loki just snaps. You're all variants. Everyone who works at the TVA, the timekeepers didn't create them, but kidnapped them from the timeline and erased their memories. Mobius had a past, maybe a family, a life. And Mobius looks like he believes it right away. And it's this back and forth where these characters kind of become reflections of each other and their experiences where Loki was the one who's just moments ago, it was Loki's face that was telling a story that was telling the truth behind the lies that, the lies that were coming out of his mouth. Now it's Mobius. His face immediately says that he believes what Loki is saying, but he has to deny it. And he just says, nice try kind of like Loki's attempted betrayal at the crime scene at the beginning of episode two at the Renaissance Fair in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Mobius is trying to treat this the same way, just like any other lie that Loki has told, or like you can always just expect Loki to tell. It's the same thing, or at least that's what Mobius wants to believe. That's what he wants to convince Loki that he believes. But we know that that's not true because we know that Mobius is already aware that something's up. He's already suspicious. So when Loki delivers that, when Loki shares that information, there's a part of Mobius that deep down just immediately knows that it's true, immediately knows that this time Loki isn't lying, but again, he can't acknowledge that just yet. There's a process to this. You know, There's an emotional adjustment that has to be made. But Loki, because Mobius is not acknowledging the truth of this right now, he's denying it. Loki says that Mobius is the biggest liar of all at the TVA because of the lies that Mobius tells himself. And Mobius just goes ahead and he throws Loki back into the time cell for now. But Mobius knows something's up, but he, he can't, you can't really blame or fault Mobius. And this is where it's very real for the character in that moment. Even though he wants to think of Loki as a friend and wants it to be a friendship, Trust isn't totally established there, although and even though deep down there's a part of Mobius that knows it's true, when your entire existence is thrown into question, it's kind of hard to be immediately accepting of that. Even if there's a part of you that already knows it's true, 
And if you want any evidence of that, see Loki's process of accepting the reality of his situation back in episode one, although there were still some things that Loki didn't immediately trust that he was right about with, with respect to the TVA. We cut back to outside in the hallway, although it's not clear that's really outside this immediate room because we know that she was closer to uh, another place where Sylvie was being kept. But we see Hunter B-15. Maybe she overheard, but really what we know for sure she's focusing on is something else that was in her head. And the only person who can answer the questions that she has about that is Sylvie. She goes to Sylvie and opens up a portal on the temp pad. But there's also an interesting poster that uh, that Hunter B-15 looks at for a while in the hallway. And it's a poster. It's a propaganda poster of the TVA. They got a lot of them there. Did you get them all? Verify through deletion. And you just wonder what Hunter B-15 is thinking about there. Is she thinking about all of the variants that she's deleted? Is she thinking maybe about how many versions of herself that perhaps have been deleted? Or that even though she's still alive in some respect being there at the TVA that she herself was deleted in a different way maybe not physically deleted but mentally and emotionally deleted if her memory was erased so that verify through deletion in so many respects that has happened to Hunter B15 and it's also something that she's inflicted on others we'll see where B15 and Sylvie went in just a few moments but for now we're going back to Renslayer's office another conversation in this episode between Mobius and his boss and Mobius as he's signing the paperwork to close the file on this case Mobius takes another look at that Franklin D Roosevelt High School pen that he looked at in Mobius in Renslayer's office previously so what is with that pen it's a token from another analyst among many in Renslayer's office, but Renslayer has said that Mobius isn't the only analyst working for her, and we also were reminded of that in the previously on Renslayer saying that Mobius wasn't the only analyst working for her. And now you got to wonder, though, now that we know that everyone working at the TVA is a variant, or certainly at least Mobius is, maybe Mobius... It's not just that he isn't the only analyst working for Renslayer. Maybe he isn't the only Mobius who's ever worked for Renslayer. Maybe there are other variants of whoever Mobius really is who have worked or even are working for Renslayer. Maybe it was a different Mobius, a different variant of Mobius that left the rings on the table, perhaps. And there have been, as we know, several Loki variants. So it stands to reason that others, including Mobius, have also had multiple variants. Maybe there's something about who Mobius was in his previous life, where even amongst variants who have their own identities, but maybe there are still enough common traits that makes Mobius such a good analyst. So they're always taking Mobius variants to come in and be analysts for however long this has been going on with time passing differently in the TVA, because Mobius keeps looking at this pen. So he stares at it because it's familiar. It's because it's a part of a life he had, a memory erased, and maybe he doesn't remember giving it to her, doesn't remember giving it to Renslayer because it was a different Mobius who also had enough common experiences in the same past, like maybe attending or teaching at the same high school before being taken by the TVA and then just so happens to hand over that gift. Or maybe it's a Mobius who got reset and, and never actually got to work for Renslayer, but was still a, a variant Mobius that got taken out 
and then that uh, and then of course that trophy was collected. And then if I can keep going down this rabbit hole of hypotheticals for another moment, I mean, what if Mobius erased another Mobius and doesn't remember it because they erased his memory of that? Like just because they erased the memory, we know they erased the memory of their former life as variants before they start working for the TVA, but who's to say they don't keep erasing their minds over and over again whenever there's an issue? If it's caught early enough, maybe they can reset that. They can wipe their memories. If it's caught too late, then yeah, maybe they have to prune them. But it'll be interesting to see where that pen comes from. And of course, there might just be the one Mobius, or at least the one Mobius variant, and this is the pen that was from his life before the TVA. We'll find out, but I, I think the pen means something. Anyway, moving on from all those hypotheticals, they close the case. Mobius asks why Renslayer wouldn't let him interrogate Sylvie, and he uses the name Sylvie, and that's important, because remember, he just got corrected when he tried to be dismissive of the idea, when he was saying that Loki had fallen for himself, and initially, and he was corrected on that, and initially tried to mock the idea of the name and the spelling of the name, but this is, I think, Mobius understanding the truth of what Loki was saying, but also it's Mobius respecting Loki and what Loki said, and this idea of people having these individual identities that if her name is Sylvie, then that's it, her name is Sylvie, and he respects that. I mean, he tries to say, he tries to brush it off with Renslayer like that's just what Loki called her, but really I think that's Mobius showing respect that, yeah, she is Sylvie. And so the timekeepers, according to Renslayer, they want to oversee the pruning of these variants, and they want Mobius to be there. And so Renslayer is essentially buttering him up to try and get him to stop asking questions, but Mobius keeps asking questions. Like, when did Renslayer notice that things were going wrong with Hunter C-20? And Renslayer just spins another story. So I've told you all this other stuff, that she started losing her mind, we had to kill her, we had to take her out, whatever. She was beyond saving. But that wasn't enough for Mobius to accept, and he wasn't just going to forget all about it because now Renslayer was positioning with a great career opportunity to go be there for the pruning of these variants in front of the timekeepers. Not buying any of that. The questions keep coming in. So now, if nothing else, let me just rely on we're friends, talking about their friendship and how their friendship is worth protecting, just like it's part of the bigger sacred timeline and everything that they do at the TVA that is all worth saving and so Mobius pretends that he falls for this speech and that he's very touched by it. But then he distracts Renslayer with this question of what to do with her newest trophy, which is the green little green sword that uh, Sylvie had. Where's that going to go? So as Renslayer finds a spot for it, Mobius swaps their temp pads so that he can get some info. Uh, then we see we cut back to where Hunter B-15, where slash when Hunter B-15 and Sylvie went. They went back to Roxcart in Alabama during the hurricane, right to the moment, well, not the exact moment, but same environment in which uh, Sylvie enchanted, remember, briefly enchanted Hunter B-15, and Hunter B-15 wants to know what Sylvie did to her, and Sylvie points out that she didn't do anything, that she can't create memories, she can only reveal what's there, and Sylvie says that their variants were the same, and B-15 says, show me. And so Sylvie does, and we watch B-15 experience a memory, and she's very happy. It's, it's very moving to watch her, experience, uh, watch her experience this memory. And Wumi Mosaku does such an outstanding job with this performance and saying, I looked happy. And it's really, though, before she even says that, 
the performance that she gives as she is experiencing reliving this memory that is real, that was part of her life before she was taken by the TVA. They could have shown a scene here, but I don't know what flashback they could have shown that would have sold the raw emotion of B-15 or whatever her real name is, as we will hopefully learn at some point. No flashback could have sold the raw feeling quite like the just pure performance of Wumi Musaku as B-15 in this scene. So good. And then asking, what now we shall find out? So Mobius is investigating. He has Renslayer's temp pad. He takes a look at what's on there. He watches the debriefing slash interrogation of Hunter C-20. And with C-20 knowing that she experienced a memory, she knows she had a life. She knows that she is a variant, that they're all variants. And then Ravona ends the interrogation or she ends the conversation abruptly. And Mobius sees that because Renslayer was captured on it. So it confirms everything that Loki was saying. It confirms that Mobius' suspicions of Renslayer is covering things up. All of that is true. And so Mobius goes to Loki in the time cell, and he asks Loki if Loki really believes that he deserves to be alone. And Loki doesn't know, so Mobius says, well, you better figure it out quick because the Nexus event that he and Sylvie caused, whatever that connection is, could bring the entire TVA down. Mobius asks, so I just have to trust the word of two Lokis, and Loki says, how about the word of a friend? The connection between the two of these guys and now watching them acknowledge it, the whole bad friend thing with Loki noticing that and, and being affected by that earlier in the episode to now reaching out and saying, you viewed this relationship between the two of us as a friendship. It's how I view it too, even though neither one of us has really done a great job of acknowledging it until now and yeah it's a twisted set of circumstances that has resulted in this friendship but nevertheless a friendship has formed between these two characters and this is loki not being alone this is loki trusting and we hope being trustworthy for mobius for sylvie for anyone else who's going to be depending on loki going forward in this series and perhaps beyond this series and also calls into question the nature of this nexus event because we we have a little bit of an explanation. It was the connection between Loki and Sylvie that made it a Nexus event, but how? Because even if they have this strong connection, if neither one of them survives on Lamentus One to do anything about that connection, how is that a threat to the Time Variance Authority? So the nature of this is still a mystery. I don't know if the idea here is that love is mischief, as they were thinking about it, as Sylvie was mentioning maybe last week, or maybe love is chaos, although I don't know that love is totally that. So I don't know if they're trying to say, or that love is something that transcends the idea of the sacred timeline. I don't know that it would be quite so general. I feel like there might be something, there there will be something thematically relevant about it, but I also think it would be something the explanation will be a little more specific with Loki and Sylvie or the nature of what makes a Loki a Loki or this bigger manifestation of free will in the universe wanting to break free. And, and maybe it's just that connection where there's some larger force within the universe that is able to channel the connection between the two of them to create even more chaos throughout the sacred timeline to break it up into a multiverse. I really don't know what the specific reason is going to be behind that. I think eventually we'll probably get an answer to that. I mean, there are only two episodes left, but we know whatever that is, 
According to Mobius, looks like it might be powerful enough to bring the entire TVA down, and it certainly looked like it was based on how we saw it shooting straight up from the sacred timeline. And as these two characters establish their connection, acknowledge their friendship, Mobius says that Loki was right about the TVA, and then Mobius tells Loki, you could be whoever, whatever you want to be, even someone good. I mean, just in case anyone ever told you different, because Mobius told Loki different. And Loki is touched by this. He genuinely smiles. And it's not the type of grin we've seen from Loki in the past where you can just read the mischief or malice all over it. That's real feeling. That's real happiness from Loki. And Mobius is now saying, as he suggests to Renslayer, but not Loki, because remember, Mobius at one point in time tried to defend the idea of Loki playing a different part. But now Mobius is acknowledging it to Loki that Loki is free of the part that he's supposed to play in the sacred timeline, or at least he should be. Timekeepers be damned. So now it's time to team up and fight for free will. But unfortunately, for now, the team up is short-lived because as they emerge from the time cell, Renslayer is there with some Minutemen. She gets her tempad back. Mobius answers her question about where he would go, as she asked in their last meeting, where he would go if he could go anytime, place. He says he would go back to wherever, whenever he's really from. Even says, maybe I had a jet ski. He definitely had a jet ski. Renslayer orders Mobius be pruned, and it happens immediately. Mobius is gone, disintegrated before our very eyes, and also before the eyes of Loki, who cries at the sight of this. So Loki really cared for Mobius, and to see Loki, I mean, I feel very bad for Loki in this series because especially in this episode, the emotional devastation that he's hit with, one it's just one thing after another. And even the lie that Mobius told that Sylvie was gone, he had to feel that before having the relief that she wasn't really gone. But now just as he acknowledges this friendship with Mobius and establishes this connection, Mobius is gone. And Loki is not the only one disturbed by this. Renslayer, who ordered this, can't even look at it. She can't even look at what she's done because she cared for Mobius too, just not enough to prevent her from ordering his execution. And at this point, as I'm talking about needing a couple days to recover from this episode, this is the moment that kicks all of that into motion because at this point, my head is spinning in this episode watching it for the first time. Wait, Mobius is dead? Or is he? I mean, it all happened so fast because normally things like this are more dramatic, but Renslayer gives the order and immediately Mobius is pruned. I mean, it almost felt Game of Thrones-esque in the whole anybody could die at any time, or maybe not really anybody in Game of Thrones at any time, but characters who are significant within the plot can go. No one is safe. It almost felt like that type of moment but it was just so fast that I couldn't help but feel like maybe something was up. I wasn't immediately ready to give up hope that Mobius was gone, and my optimism only grew as the episode went on, but more on that in a moment. And plus, you know, Mobius variants. Even if this Mobius is gone, maybe we'll see another version, uh, also played by Owen Wilson. So, uh, although they are different, distinct individuals, but... We're still going to see Owen Wilson in the series, and I think it will be as the Mobius that we saw get pruned in this season. Uh, but also, there's a, another key moment here, and it's beautifully played by Gugu Mbatha-Ra as 
Ravona Renslayer, where she tells the Minutemen to take Loki, go on up ahead and take Loki to the elevator. She doesn't immediately follow them. She hangs back and we see her take a breath. We see her absorb the emotion of this moment and feel this loss that she couldn't even bear to watch, even though she gave the order. And we have to remember that Renslayers were trying to, I don't know, pass judgment on this character. How are we supposed to feel about her? Well, we don't feel good right now. We're going to feel even worse in an elevator ride in a few moments. But it's also worth remembering that she may be in the exact same boat as Mobius, Hunter C-20, Hunter B-15, everyone else who works in the TVA. And she might just be having a harder time accepting this truth. Maybe it's a truth she's already known about for a long time, but it's still harder for her. It's easier for her to just accept that this is my life now in the TVA. It doesn't matter what came before. This is all I have. I can't go back. If she doesn't believe that she can go back, that this is what life is going forward. So I'm just going to go all in on this. I'm going to buy into this. But we also know that she is intimidated by the timekeepers. So maybe there's a part of her that just doesn't feel like any of this would be worth it. And the only way to survive is to try and help uphold this system. Does that excuse her actions? No, but it explains where she's coming from as a character. And we also have to understand that she's not exactly, she's not, as far as we can tell, entirely free in any of this either. So now it's almost time to meet the timekeepers. So Loki, we see him being walked down the hall toward the elevator. He is devastated. He is defeated on that walk to the elevator. I mean, he just looks like he's gone completely numb, probably because of uh, that emotional survival mechanism of just shutting down for a second because just overwhelmed by the loss of, uh, of someone he just acknowledges a friend, just as he's getting into this idea that he doesn't deserve to be alone, he doesn't have to always be alone. One of the few genuine friends he's ever had, maybe the only one that he's ever had besides uh, Thor, but it took him a while to even recognize that uh, with his brother Thor, that Loki loses uh, Mobius immediately. So we see that all over Tom Hiddleston in his performance here. Uh, Renslayer goes and gets Sylvie, notices that because they went to Rock's cart in the hurricane, that... Uh, you know, of course, it was raining a lot there, notices that Sylvie is wet and wonders who visited, and it was Hunter B-15, so she puts out an alert for Hunter B-15. Loki and Sylvie are then reunited at the elevator, and Sylvie asks Loki, you okay? So these characters that went back and forth pretending not to care about each other, Loki definitely showed that he cared about Sylvie. I mean, he showed Mobius, but even on Lamentus 1, showed that he cared, and I think Sylvie has shown that, but here's an even bigger demonstration of it. Didn't just make fun of him, didn't offer some snarky comment, just genuinely asked because she was genuinely concerned and worried, are you okay? She cares. And Renslayer then is taking them uh, on the elevator ride to the timekeepers and on the ride up, Sylvie asks if Renslayer remembers her. Renslayer does. Sylvie asks what her Nexus event was. Renslayer asks, what does it matter? And Sylvie notes that, well, it must have been important, right? You had to take me prisoner. You had to erase my entire timeline. You took all these steps. It must have been something important. And Renslayer just smiles and mocks as she says that, she, and mocks Sylvie, she says that she doesn't remember. And I don't think that's true, but Renslayer just obviously has it out for Sylvie, has this hatred of Sylvie, 
And so it was kind of happy to rub it in, to kind of twist the knife in Sylvie there. And that is just straight up cruel. So as I'm trying to see in the previous scene where Mobius was pruned, wanting to see something redeemable about Renslayer, and I think something might still be redeemable about her, it's tough when you see her mock the trauma that she caused Sylvie. It's one thing to do it because you're part of the TVA and you don't have a choice. It's quite another if you are doing it or you don't know that you have a choice. It's quite another if you act like you enjoy the pain that you're causing. And that was a moment where it looked like that. But maybe that's just part of Renslayer having a personal grudge with Sylvie. But what's the basis for that grudge? That she got away from you when you kidnapped her as a kid? I don't know. So tough to know how to feel about Renslayer. Not loving her at all, though, in that moment. So the elevator ride ends, and then we get to finally, at long last, meet the timekeepers. And we saw them from a distance at the beginning of the episode, but now we get to see them up close. I don't know that, or I do know, that the CG, it wasn't perfect with the timekeepers. They didn't totally look as amazing as other CG characters have looked in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but I was okay with it. I mean, they looked decent enough for as long as they lasted in this series, because I don't really expect that we will see them again, except for the previously on that we watch at the start of next week's episodes. But the timekeepers ask for any last words. Loki is defiant. The timekeepers, or one of them says, you and your bravado are no threat to us variant. Sylvie doesn't really think that they believe that. She thinks that the timekeepers are scared of them, but she's being looped by Renslayer with a time collar. But B-15 is the one really in control here as she emerges from the elevator, releases the time collars for both Loki and Sylvie, and Hunter B-15 says, for all time, always, using the TVA's slogan against them, tosses Sylvie her sword, and the fight is on, and it's a really cool fight. I really like this little skirmish that we had here. It was the atmosphere of the scene, along with the intensity, especially in the portion of the fight that went to Sylvie and Renslayer, because there's so much history here, as we've seen in this episode. So seeing Sylvie be able to get some measure of revenge on Renslayer, at least temporarily, by knocking her out, especially after what Renslayer just said in the elevator, Watching that knockout was really satisfying, although that satisfaction was uh, was short-lived because Renslayer would, uh, would, of course, come back. Although, what Renslayer did set up a really cool moment with the mid credit scene, so I guess I can't totally hate Renslayer for what she does uh, a few moments after this. But with Loki and Sylvie having won the fight, now the timekeepers want to have some sort of understanding. They want to strike some sort of bargain and one of the timekeepers, the one in the middle at the top, says that Sylvie is a child of the timekeepers too, and they can talk. Sylvie doesn't want to talk. She beheads that timekeeper. Turns out, though, he's just an android. They all are. The others laugh, and then they're just shut off, and they go limp. And so it's very, very Wizard of Oz, as we've been talking about on the podcast. Who's really in charge here? So the timekeepers, we already had the sense that they weren't at least not as originally introduced to us, explained to us that they weren't the real power here, or if they were, there was going to be much more to them. So I'm not surprised to find out that they're just androids, that they are just figureheads that are taking the place of someone else for right now. So who is that that's really in charge? Who created the TVA as Loki and Sylvie are wondering? Is it Kang? That's what we've been wondering on the podcast, I know we're not the only ones, pretty much everybody 
is uh, thinking about Kang and wondering about Kang at this point, although I think it's more credible speculation based on more evidence within the actual series than Mephisto, so it's not quite the same. Uh, I think it's fair to speculate a lot about Kang at this point, especially knowing that this is a character that's going to be in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania as played by Jonathan Majors, but if it's Kang or someone else, I'm sure it'll be exciting with whatever is eventually revealed, but just based on what we have here, I love this. I, I love that the timekeepers are not what they were advertised to be. That's not really a big surprise to any of us who have been watching the show, but it is a surprise to Loki and Sylvie. But it's not just the surprise. It's the devastation of feeling lost, of feeling like you don't know where to turn next because you've had this whole idea of what the solution to your problems was, and now you don't even know what the problem actually is. Your whole concept of the obstacles that are in front of you completely changes because now you're left with nowhere to turn, nowhere to go, or at least you don't feel like you're going to have anywhere to turn. It's just complete. It's all a complete mystery. They're completely bewildered by this information, but they don't have a lot of time to live with it because Loki starts to try and tell Sylvie how he feels and he struggles with that. And these moments, it shows as Loki is trying to express how he feels about Sylvie these moments never come easy for Loki, which is why he always, or not always, he's been he's working on it and he's getting better as far as being able to be vulnerable and share how he really feels. But this is still a fairly new practice for Loki. This is not a very well-developed muscle at this point. And this is the biggest challenge because now he's never really felt the this way about anyone, the way he feels about Sylvie. And that really explains why this is such a struggle for Loki. This is as vulnerable as he's ever had to be standing right. It's, of course, I mean, it's an extreme amount of vulnerability, as he's seen before, to admit the nature of why he's behaved the way that he has in his history and being willing to admit that to Mobius in certain moments or admit it to himself in certain moments. And that is difficult enough, but when he has to stand right in front of the face of, of Sylvie and have these feelings that he has for her, and maybe he doesn't even fully understand or comprehend these feelings because this is such a new experience. Because if this is love that he's feeling for Sylvie, we know he's never really had that because he said he never really had anything real in the conversation that they had on the train in episode three. So this is a brand new thing, and to have to bear his soul in front of someone he really cares about and not know exactly how she's going to respond, or even if he feels confident that she would respond positively, it's still a lot for Loki. And unfortunately, he needed extra time to be able to express those feelings, but he doesn't get that extra time to express those feelings because he is pruned by Renslayer. What? Sylvie wrestles away Renslayer's reset wand, and then when Sylvie has Renslayer dead to rights with that reset wand, Renslayer says, do it. But Sylvie's not going to do that. She just says, tell me everything. And then we roll credits. I'll talk about the pruning of Loki in just a moment. Let's just go back to Renslayer to finish on this character for this episode. Renslayer just wanted to be taken out in that moment by Sylvie. And I think that's a combination of a lot of things that Renslayer is dealing with, the guilt over what she did to Mobius, but 
everything that she's been feeling. I mean, she knows more. I think she knew or at least suspected. I mean, did she know that the timekeepers were just androids? I mean, if she did, why were they so, why was she so intimidated? But maybe she was intimidated because even if she knew that the timekeepers were fake or they were androids or she suspected that, she still knows there's some other greater power behind them. And maybe that's what she's really afraid of. And so if Sylvie has an opportunity to reset Renslayer and Renslayer doesn't have to deal with any of these issues anymore, although would she really be free of those issues? Does Renslayer even know what being reset means? Because we don't, although... She seems to know a lot, so maybe she does know what that means, and maybe that'll be part of Sylvie eventually going and, and helping out Loki. We'll see what happens on that, but Renslayer, her wanting to just be taken out by Sylvie, I think speaks to Renslayer not being totally happy, not being at all happy with the things she's done and all the things that she has to deal with as part of the TVA, and maybe just not seeing a way out besides this. But uh, we'll continue contemplating that as time goes on and we see more uh we see future episodes for Renslayer but we roll credits and I'll get to the mid credit scene in a moment but the reaction to this is just it can't be like at this point I'm sort of relieved because there's no way that Loki is gone and if Loki's not gone then perhaps Mobius is okay but these are the things that I started thinking a few seconds later. In the moment, I was just lost in that visual of Loki disintegrating, right? As he's about to share how he feels with Sylvie, he's gone. And so my initial reaction was just that of what just happened and, and Loki's been taken out. But then a few seconds later, I start to recover and I think about how we will get Loki back and and start thinking about what Sylvie might learn from Renslayer next week. But just as I'm starting to recover and find, uh, start to gather my thoughts on these things, we get to a tag. We get to a mid-credit scene. Loki awakens somewhere. We don't know where it is. He asks, "Is this hell? Am I dead?" A voice off screen says, "Not yet, but you will be unless you come with us." Who's us? We cut to four different Lokis. Classic Loki, played by Richard E. Grant. Kid Loki, played by Jack Veal. Boastful Loki, played by Diobia Opere. And Alligator Loki. What is going on in this mid credit scene? This is an instant classic among MCU tags, be they mid credit scenes or post credit scenes. Instant classic to have Loki looking up at four other Lokis. I mean, visually, it's just unbelievably cool to see these Lokis. The comic book looks for classic Loki and kid Loki. I mean, they look like just stepped right off of a comic book page. And boastful Loki looks like he's got some sort of hammer. I don't know if this is a Loki who found himself his own version of Mjolnir but I just have tons of questions about these Lokis and the nature of them and where they came from. So it's a really striking visual, but it's also what makes this such a great scene is what it represents. And what it represents is the way this series just keeps evolving. It just keeps changing as we go along. And it really runs the risk of being annoying where we start to think this series is one thing or we start to think the story is going to play out in a certain way, and now it's going off in a completely new direction, where if it just feels like it's going in these new directions just for the sake of surprise, just for the sake 
of making these turns, these twists that we didn't see coming. If it was hollow in that way, it wouldn't be satisfying and it would just be annoying because we would see through all of that. We would see it for being for what it is as just superficial surprise. It isn't really revealing anything about the characters of the story, but that's not how this plays. It works because this series still keeps its focus with on character. Character is still at the center of the story. And as it's taking all of these different turns, the story just gets more interesting with each turn. And instead of playing out just as we'd expect, for example, in this case, normally we would expect a story like this. It would build and build and build to a final confrontation with the timekeepers in episode six, because we know we're getting six episodes. Well, instead, what we're getting, you thought maybe we're building to this confrontation in episode six. No, you're getting the timekeepers in episode four, and we're eliminating them in episode four, because that would be another way of playing out this story is... They get close to the timekeepers. They actually see them, but then something happens. Timekeepers get away or, or whatever, and the actual confrontation is saved for later. No, it happens here. They're taken off the board. And in addition to subverting our expectations as to how certain things are going to unfold, they're also changing everything that we thought we knew based on what they've told slash shown us. And you think about this and, and really... We're given, we go back to episode one, and we're given a new understanding of an entirely different reality that creates a whole new context of how we understand reality and time within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it's based simply on the existence of the TVA. So, okay, these are the rules of time and time travel and whatever, and that adds on to what we understood about Endgame. Oh no, you have no idea because you can't trust the TVA in any way, shape, or form, And now one of the other things that we took for granted as true was the idea of things being reset. That means they are removed from existence. They are effectively killed, deleted, disintegrated. They no longer exist, period. Well, that's not true either. Being reset doesn't mean being killed. At least it doesn't for Loki. So what happens to everything else that gets pruned? And where is this place that we find Loki in this mid credit scene? Is this some sort of reset purgatory that exists? Is this some other sort of timeline jail that's within the sacred timeline, but it it allows, it's a branch that doesn't hit red line that just runs parallel in some way to the sacred timeline, and that's where everything just goes as part of the trash for the timekeepers or whoever's really in charge of the TVA? I don't know. What we see in the background behind these Lokis, we see a ruined Avengers Tower. So is this... A timeline in which Loki won the Battle of New York. And I've seen people speculating that maybe that's why we see Loki in the trailers who has like the the campaign button for Loki that he won and he's president or he's the leader. I mean, if he took over the world, he doesn't necessarily need to be elected. I don't get the campaign button. But nevertheless, is this one where Loki conquered Earth? I don't I mean, that's definitely possible. But also this might be because If Loki just got dropped in here after being reset, if people such as Loki or a god such as Loki, if he can just be dropped in here, maybe inanimate objects can be dropped in there. Maybe just buildings can be dropped in there. I mean, we do see in the midseason trailer, there is a big ship that just appears to be dropping into the same environment. So maybe this is where things go when they are hit by a reset charge. I don't really know, and and we can't know yet exactly what the nature of this 
existence is within this timeline, but we know that a lot of Lokis were uh, were reset by the TVA, so that explains why there's at least a handful of Lokis here. So where this goes from here, the nature of this place, and also, if this is where you're at, how do you get back? How do you get back to the TVA to figure out who's really in charge and how to overcome the challenge of the Time Variance Authority and, and take them down, as we're now rooting for our heroes to do? And if Loki is around in here, perhaps Mobius is there as well, but there might be more than one Mobius in this environment. That will be something, of course, to look out for. And just looking ahead based on the mid-season trailer, I mean, some other things that we see besides the ship dropping in, it looks like Sylvie does join Loki in this environment at some point. Uh, we see what looks to be a, a victorious Loki on Asgard. Is that the same Loki who maybe won the Battle of New York on Earth and then just moved on from there? We see the Loki that we know with his shirt and tie using a dagger kind of like a magic wand. So maybe there's magic in here and maybe that means that the runes thing is in play, although I still don't really think so, but some form of magic because Loki's been part of magic since before we saw WandaVision and, and met Scarlet Witch in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Magic's already been there for Loki the entire time. So I, I really, even with some little visuals that uh, that are flashed in front of us during the mid-season trailer, I'm still really wondering just what the hell is going on. I don't know, and that's exciting because it all still works. I'm really invested in the story, and the returns on that emotional investment that I'm giving each and every week to this story, the returns get bigger each and every week. And it's fun to have this plot shifting underneath our feet and getting us to ask new questions because the emotional core remains intact. And it's asking the same thematic questions. What makes a Loki a Loki? What makes us who we are? What choice do we have in deciding who we are? And what do we need in order to make that choice? A better understanding of who we are in the first place and the person we want to be and the will to be, hopefully, that better version of ourselves and to break through our own internal struggles that box us in, as well as any external factors that, without our will to overcome them, would tell us what part we play instead of us choosing our own role. Anyway, pretty neat show. Can't wait to see what happens next, and can't wait to talk with all of you about it. But before I get out of here for this episode, just want to say thank you to Adalia or Adalia C, Wade H, and Justin S for being some of the latest patrons over at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, where we offer exclusive podcasts that are not available anywhere else, including that Marvelous Moment series that I mentioned at the top of the show, which you can check out along with all the other exclusive podcasts patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R, or just hit the link in our show notes, and then make sure you're following us in all those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and if you want to follow me, you can do so at Mr. Sean Gerber on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you all so much for listening to this edition of the MCU Fan Show. I'm Sean Gerber. Take care. We'll see you next time. <laughs>